Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we are um, going through the, the, old, uh, the, the New Testament and uh, currently in the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, this morning's title, uh, a topic that we need to go through and be reminded of and constantly be aware of and sensitive to, is the carnal Christian, the carnal Christian. In chapter 2, we learn that there are two classes of people, the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man being the man that does not know, does not know Christ, the spiritual man, the man that does know Christ. But here, Paul makes another classification. This particular person is a believer. They're among believers, carnal Christians and spiritual Christians. Again, those who are being led by the Spirit and the carnal Christian pretty much being led by the flesh. The carnal or spiritual nature will show itself. It will reveal itself in the way that a person lives and in the way that they serve God. Let's begin verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3. And Paul begins, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, because you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So here's the third class. We have the natural man, the spiritual man, and now we have the carnal man, the carnal Christian. The word carnal means flesh. Now, the carnal person is not the same as the natural man that we talked about in chapter 2, verse 1. But the carnal, those that are carnal are the cause of division in the flesh. Paul said in, in, in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 3, he says, uh, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like men? So carnality in, uh, will bring envying into the body of Christ. Envying, this is a desire to have the same thing somebody else has uh, simply because you want to be equal to or superior to him. Now, it does not come from a sense of humility, but from pride. And then strife means contention. And it's an expression of hostility. It's the attitude that says, I'm better than you are, and you ought to become like me. And this is a frequent cause of trouble among Christians in the church. And then there's divisions. Paul brings up a third characteristic of carnality. We had envy, we had strife. Now there are divisions. Divisions in addition to the the envying and the strife. Notice that the words jealousy and strife or envying and strife are in the singular. Divisions is in the plural because it's a progressiveness. There is a progressiveness to these evils. The first being envying or jealousy. It's It's a disposition of the soul. You may feel jealous of someone, 
And you wish that, that they were not so elevated and you were so low. But you may not actually get into a fight about it. But then jealousy can and does lead to strife, which is more obvious. A jealous person is the most likely to fight. And when fighting erupts, the observers are likely to take sides. In other words, one person may start one fight, but this can turn into many divisions. And I've seen that in the church. I've dealt with it. You have to discipline somebody. Maybe it's a couple. And for some sin. And then you get, you get sides. You know, you, 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 try to, you try to do the discipline. And, and, and it, you know, it, it doesn't always turn out the way everybody thinks it should. For one thing, they don't have all the facts. They don't know why certain measures were taken. So one will be for the one person. And then you'll have somebody on the other person. And so you've got these divisions now. You've got these camps where, you know, they're, they're siding with people now. And then you can, you can get, a, get a split in those camps. And then you've got more divisions going on. So it's really a difficult situation sometimes to deal with. But, and that's why Paul is, is, is talking about it here. Because they're, they're, they're hard situations to deal with. A carnal person is a spiritually immature person. A spiritual infant, Paul is saying. A Christian matures by letting the Holy Spirit teach him and direct him by feeding on the Word of God. The carnal Christian is the one who hasn't grown up spiritually. And it's obvious that he or she lacks spiritual discernment because they're not growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And this is a consequence of their relationship to the Word of God. And this is important to grasp. It's important to understand this carnal Christian is a babe in Christ. They have potential, but no desire. A baby has the potential to become a learned man. When, when you have that, that, that firstborn child, the second or third, whatever, you look at that child and you think, what potential? Now, especially with the firstborn, oh man, this could be the next president of the United States. This could be the next... Um, you know, doctor or, or whatever it might be. There's such potential in that little person. All right, there's potential. There, 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 there's so much that that person can, can become. But, you know, th there's no desire at the moment. All right? Th that, that person hasn't grown up. And, and so uh, you, you, that comes through the training and the teaching and the learning. Uh, but the, again, there's, there's, uh, he, he, they start out by, that, that little person starts out by drinking milk. Again, it, that baby has so much potential to become a learned person. But they start out by drinking milk. And Paul uses the figure here, the figure of speech, for the spiritual level. The carnal Christian lives for the things of the flesh and doesn't have much interest in the things of the spirit. As we know, babies are self-centered. They depend upon others for all of their needs. They have short attention spans. They go for things that, that sparkle and shine. They have no sense of values. They're ignorant of the things that they need to know because of, they're, they're babes. Their own desires are more important to them than you, than anybody else, than the whole world. It's all about me when, when you're, you're that, that baby. They're led by their appetites. Not by the Spirit of God. 
They jump from one thing to another. They can't feed themselves. They can't protect themselves. They can't defend themselves, spiritually speaking. They can't see beyond their own little world. And they enjoy being the center of attention. They have no thought for the needs or concerns of others. They're demanding and they require a lot of care. And they get themselves into the most terrible messes and they're totally unaware of it. But in time, hopefully they grow up. But the deal here, the Corinthians didn't. Now, some believers are naturally immature because they've only been saved for a little while, and that's expected. All right? But, but that's not what Paul was talking about here. Because during the year and a half that Paul ministered in Corinth, he tried to feed his spiritual children and to help them mature in the faith. Now, what are the marks of maturity? Well, you can tell the mature person by their diet. As children grow, they learn to eat different food. They go from milk to meat. Milk usually represents the easy things in the Word. The meat represents the harder doctrines. So Paul didn't expect the Corinthians to mature in Christ at the time of their conversion. And, and many you know, Christians grow in their faith, in, in the knowledge of Christ, at, at different speeds, different levels. And that's, again, so Paul didn't expect the Corinthians to mature in Christ when they got saved. By placing their faith in Christ, they had been justified and united with Christ and his death on the cross. And they were considered righteous because of the cross. They were considered righteous before God because of Jesus' righteousness. We are righteous in him. So when Paul first established the church at Corinth, he taught them to grow in their faith. In other words, to become sanctified. And that's a daily thing. The behavior of the Christians in Corinth should have begun to line up with their righteous position in Christ. And that's why we read the scriptures. That's why we come to church. That's why we have the fellowship. So that we can grow in Christ. And the time that we spend in the word and in prayer and reading the scriptures, it should show in our life. In the maturity, the spiritual maturity of our life. It wasn't happening with the Corinthians. In verse 3, Paul said, you are still carnal. An immature Christian naturally lacks many Christian traits. But no one should expect this condition to last. Paul was surprised that the Corinthians hadn't grown yet into spiritual maturity or become able to distinguish between good and evil. The Word of God is our spiritual food. And like I said, you can tell a a mature person by their diet. Now, for a Christian, the spiritual food, the Bible says, 1 Peter calls the the, the Word of God milk. Matthew calls it bread. Jesus said, you shall not live by by, um, bread alone, but by the Word of God. And so, but uh, he, He is the bread of life. Um, In Hebrews, the Word is called the meat, and the psalmist calls it honey. Like the physical man needs a balanced diet, okay, if his body is to be healthy, so does the spiritual man or woman. They need a balanced diet of spiritual food. You know, for us to be strong and healthy physically, we need to eat good food, all right? Now, for the spiritual man, you know, what we feed the spiritual man is what's going to determine its strength. 
If we, feed it, if, we, if we feed the flesh with fleshly things, the spiritual man is not going to be very successful. He's not going to get, be very, very victorious in his trials and his situations. Now, if he's, if he's fed uh, fleshly things uh, by the world, well, you know, it's the flesh that's going to become stronger. But if his fed, he's fed the spiritual things, like the Word of God, and he's in prayer, and, he, and he's in church, you know, growing and learning, you know, then the spiritual man is going to be the victor. But again, uh, we have to have that balanced diet of the Word of God. So the spiritual man needs a, ba- a balanced diet of spiritual food. The baby starts with milk. But as that baby grows and his teeth develop, now he needs solid food. The Corinthians were like a lot of Christians today. They seem to be very happy to stay on milk. Take it easy. You know, don't, don't exert themselves. Don't, don't, you know, just, you know, they need to go for it. But they like, you know, staying on the milk. Being very happy and complacent there. And some congregations, they don't want to go deep. They don't want the pastor to go deep in the teaching. And that's because their fleshly habits aren't threatened much if the pastor teaches mostly evangelistic messages. Evangelism is for unbelievers, not believers. Or the congregation wants scriptures to be so watered down that their sin isn't exposed. Or rebuked, they're not corrected, there's no conviction. You see, if the, water, if the word of God isn't taught in, in all of its uh, undiminished power, there, there's, there's no uh, way of, of, of being convicted. The Spirit convicts us through the word of God. And as we're learning the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, that's, that needs to change in your life, or, or you need to have that in your life, it, it doesn't do anything because everything is so neutral. So, again, it's a, it's a blessing when the sheep want to be enlightened, when they want to be enriched, when they want to be edified rather than entertained. It's important to preach the gospel to the lost, but it's also important that we teach the gospel to the saved. Now, there's another way to determine maturity. The mature Christian practices love and seeks to get along with other people, submitting to one another, as Ephesians says, submitting to one another. Children like to disagree. They like to complain. They have heroes. The babes in Corinth, they were fighting over which preacher was the greatest. One said, hey, I'm of a Paul I'm of Apollo. And Paul said, Are you not carnal? But behaving like men doesn't produce holiness. It produces envy, strife, and divisions, Paul said in verse 3. They sounded like children. You know, with all of their comparisons. And Howard Hendricks, a great Bible teacher, said that comparison is carnality. But again, they sound like kids out at recess. My daddy's bigger than your daddy. My daddy's smarter than your daddy. My daddy can beat up your daddy. And this is the kind of thing that they were comparing. Paul, Apollos, and Peter, they weren't competing with each other. They were serving together for a common goal. And the pastor's job is to help the church to grow spiritually and mature in the Lord. And this is done by the steady, balanced, 
teaching of the Word of God, not jumping around to our favorite topics or to topicals or to our favorite people. Paul said, I shun not to, te- no, I shun not to teach you the whole gospel of God. That is from, from Genesis to Revelation. We need to know the scriptures. And I've said it many times, I'm going to say it again. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And so again, that's, that's what, what Paul uh, is saying here. A mature Christian, he, he, he's, he knows the Word of God, he's taught the Word of God, he loves the Word of God, he wants to be enriched by the Word of God. And, and again, Paul explains how this is done in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 16. It's necessary for every member of the body to do their part. God gives spiritual gifts to his people. You all that are born again, you all have spiritual gifts. The Bible says you do. And then he gives these gifted people to the various churches to build up the saints. And the believers grow and they build up the church. And a mature Christian uses his gifts as tools to build with. And you see, if you are not using your gift, then you're, 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 you're cutting, the, you're, you're you know, causing the, the, the church of Christ to miss out on the gift that you have to help build up the body of Christ. And so, uh, God, again, God gives gifts to his people, and then the, the, the gifts are used in the church uh, to build up the saints and the believers to grow to build up the church. A mature Christian uses his gifts like tools to build with. While an immature believer uses gifts like toys to boast about or to show off. Now, many members of the Corinthian church, they enjoyed showing off their gifts. The Corinthian church was gifted. They had all of the gifts going there. But they were using them in the wrong way. They were were showing off of their gifts. But they weren't interested in serving one another and edifying the church with their gifts. So what is ministry? Ministry involves loving, it involves feeding, and it involves disciplining God's family so that his children mature in the faith and become more and more like Jesus Christ. Look at verses 5 through 9. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So after Paul discusses the fact that they were carnal, Paul then turns to the foolishness of their carnality. He points it out. He's going, okay, who's, who am I? Who, who's Apollos? You know, we're just, we're just uh, workers. God's the one who does, brings forth the fruit. You see, what Paul was saying is the success of us doing our job depends on others doing their job properly. You see, if Paul doesn't plant, Apollo can water all he wants, but nothing's going to happen because nothing's planted. You see, now, on the other hand, you know, Apollos, uh, if Apollos doesn't water after Paul planted, still nothing's going to happen. There's still going to be a failure. 
But when everybody is doing their part and they're doing it successfully, now we depend upon God to bring the increase. You see, our success depends on others doing their jobs or else the church functions deficiently. But Apollos and Paul, hey, they were only servants. They were only servants that God used to do the work, that God worked through. The ones who plant and the ones who water, they have nothing to boast about. Why? Because we need God's power, which brings the increase. Only God draws unbelievers to himself. It's our responsibility to do our part, to do our job, no matter what the results are. Because you see, God's going to reward us for our efforts. He's going to reward us uh, for the, uh, the quality of our work, for being faithful in what he's called us to do. The cure for division is looking away from self and putting our eyes on the one God that we all glorify. And when our focus is on the Lord, which it always should be, there, are, there won't be any time uh, or, or chance for division. When our focus is on Christ, it, it can't be on ourselves. Or, or it can't be on human leaders or human factions. Paul deals with the Corinthians here in verse 5. Again, he says, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? He says, we're just servants through whom you believe the good news. He said, all we did was the work that God gave us to do. Paul said, yeah, I planted. Yeah, Apollos watered. You know, we, we did our work faithfully. But the real work was the Lord's. God was bringing the growth. Now you can be the best farmer in the world, but you cannot give, that farmer cannot give life to a plant or make it grow. How much less can anyone, even an apostle, give spiritual life or growth to a person? The most men can do is prepare and water the soil and plant the seeds. The rest is up to God. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, Paul says. Because it's God who causes the growth. The human instrument is nothing but a tool. All the honor for the accomplishment, whatever happens, goes to God. The Corinthians were proud of their church. And different groups in the church were proud of their leaders. But you see, that attitude made them get puffed up. And being puffed up was dividing the church because God wasn't receiving the glory. It was all about everybody else. It was God's church, not Paul's. It wasn't Apollos' church. It wasn't Peter's church. And the believers, they were God's field, verse 9 says. They're God's building and God's alone. And the glory for any good work that's done there or anywhere is also God's alone. Now, God wants to see his church increase. He wants wants the church to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Holiness, gentleness, giving, good works, praise to the Lord, souls one to Jesus Christ. He wants to see that, along with spiritual growth. And there uh, there should be a growth in numbers. And that's what we want. That's what we want. We've been praying for. For those that that have kind of 
you know, been scattered by the pandemic and have just gotten complacent and that kind of thing, for them to come back, that the Holy Spirit would bring them back to the place where God wants them to be. God desires that. Fruit has in it, no, the fruit has in it the seed for more fruit. Again, with, and with spiritual growth, there should be a growth in numbers. If the fruit of our ministry is genuine, it will ever, eventually uh, produce uh, fruit and much more fruit, it says in John 15. Now, Satan is busy sowing seeds too. He seeds swords of discord, disunity. He sees so, uh, so, uh, seeds of lies, which he's been doing really well in the last couple of years. See, he, you know, we have to be busy cultivating the soil, planting the good seed of the word of God. Verses 10 through 17. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's works of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the people of God is holy. I'm sorry, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? Paul had founded a church at Corinth on the foundation of Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Those are the building materials. They refer to the quality of the work done by the Corinthians and possibly also to their motivations or the kinds of doctrines that they taught. The day that uh, Paul was talking about here, the day in verse 13 speaks of the time when Jesus is going to judge the values of his servant's work why they did the work, the motivation behind it, not whether they received forgiveness of sin. The word fire here in these verses, it doesn't refer to the uh, eternal fire of damnation, but to the evaluation of believers' works. When our works are thrown into the fire, what's burned up disappears, but what's left over will be our reward. You see, fire proves the quality of gold. But it consumes wood, hay, and straw. Now, some good work, you know, and people, it, it, it's really self-centered boasting. It's their own work. It's what they're doing. The true value of, of this kind of service is going to become clear on that day when God judges the value of all the things that we do. Paul is discussing the building of the local church which is the temple of God. Paul points out that one day God's going to judge our works. And God is concerned that we build with quality. The church doesn't belong to me or you. It's God's church. Verse 9, Paul says, you are God's building. 
And if we're going to build the local church the way God wants it built, we have to meet his conditions. Get a hold of that. Because there are many ideas for building the church. That's why we have so many different churches. We don't like the way Joe does it. We don't like the way John does it. We don't like the way... So we all break off and we all start our own. Listen to what God told Moses when he told Moses to build a tabernacle. He says to Moses in Exodus 25, 9, he says, you must, notice, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. Notice that. You must build this tabernacle. And when I say... Not so much, it shows you that God cares about detail. Remember, the church is who? It's you, not the building. We are to build it, we are to pattern it exactly the way God says to do it. And that's through his word. It's the blueprint. God's word is the blueprint for building the church. And he said, must and exactly. Notice he didn't leave any room for Moses to say, well, Lord, what do you think about this? I think we ought to do it like this. Moses wasn't allowed that luxury. Because a man starts putting his two cents in. Well, you can look around to see where man's two cents has gotten us today. It's a mess. We must meet God's conditions. Do things God's way if it's going to be what it should be. First of all, we have to build on the right foundation, which is Jesus Christ. When Paul came to Corinth, he made up his mind. He said he had determined that he was going to preach Christ and Jesus Christ crucified only. Paul laid the only foundation that would last. The foundation is laid by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The foundation is the most important part of the building. Because the foundation determines the size, the shape, the strength, and the duration of the building. And a building's only going to be as good as its foundation. A ministry might seem to be successful. But if it is not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, it's a matter of time. It will collapse. It will disappear sooner or later. And we must build with the right materials, Paul said, using verses 12 through 17. Paul described two totally opposite kinds of building materials. There's gold, silver, precious stones, which are permanent. They're beautiful, they're valuable, and they're hard to get. And then there's wood, hay, and straw. They're temporary, they're ordinary, even ugly, cheap and easy to get. Now, these things can also be easily referring to the doctrines of the Word of God. You know, gold, silver, precious metals, or straw, hay, and you know, stubble. In each section of this chapter, though, the Word, okay, the Bible, the, uh, the Word of God is symbolized in a way that fits the image of the church Paul used. For example, the Word is food for the family. Seed is used for the field. Materials is used for the temple. Paul has been writing about wisdom in these first three chapters. And you can see the connection. The Corinthians were trying to build their church by man's wisdom, by the world's wisdom, when they should have been depending upon the wisdom of God and not the world. 
the wisdom of God that is found in the Word of God. And in view of the judgment that Paul spoke about, the judgment seat of Christ, it's so important that we get our lives in order now and not wait until it's too late. Everything hinges here on the amazing fact that our bodies, can you imagine that? Our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said in verse 16, do you not know? Do you not know? So much of our failure to live the Christian life comes from ignorance. Not knowing. Not knowing. A lot of times it's, it's self-imposed. Don't want to know or think we know enough. It's an overwhelming truth that the believer's body is the Holy Spirit's temple, dwelling place. It's the only way that Christ's life can be made real, can become real in our life. Through Christ living through us in the Holy Spirit. It's the indwelling Spirit of God who enables us to live the life of Christ. But Paul imagines the most horrible thought, defiling this temple. And man, it is really easy for us to defile these temples, these bodies, thus resulting in grieving the Holy Spirit. We can defile ourselves by the things we read, by the things we watch, movies or TV, the, things, the places that we go to, the habits that we indulge in, the thoughts that we entertain, and the list can go on. Paul said in verse 17, if a man defiles the temple of God, God will destroy that temple because the temple of God is holy, which you are. In other words, God will ruin the one who ruins his temple. Any person who disrupts and destroys the church by divisions, malice, and other harmful acts, they are inviting God's discipline. So Christians, we need to beware. The Holy Spirit is very patient with us. But the Holy Spirit is not to be toyed with. A time will come when after, after being warned over and over again that he pulls down the bodily temple of the offender. The idea applies also. The same idea applies to the local church. The continuous defiling of believers in a local church by false teaching, uh, accepting immoral behavior, or using worldly methods grieves and hinders the Holy Spirit. Because these things weaken a church. And these things can lead to the total failure of its testimony. Jesus said in Revelation 2.5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else. I underline that in my or else. Remember when mom or dad said that? You better do this or else. That put a little fire under you to go do it. Or else. And you knew what or else was. Jesus is warning here. <laughs> do the first works or else. He says, I, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He removed his lampstand. Where are all those churches today that once made Asia Minor the brightest place on earth for the gospel? They're gone. 
because they allowed idolatry, they allowed false doctrine, and they allowed immorality uh, into it. And it led to their destruction. The Lord, also, the, the Lord allowed Islam also to come in and sweep them all away. Islam is one of the biggest spreading religions in the nation. What do we see happening in our nation today? How do we wipe out divisions? Look at verses 18 through 20. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So the wisdom of this world doesn't match God's wisdom, the foolishness of Christ crucified. All right, to the world, the foolishness of uh, the Christ crucified is foolishness to the world. And Paul quotes in these verses from Job 5.13 and Psalm 94.11. And he quotes from these, verse, these, these places to encourage the members of the Corinthian church to humble themselves. He said, all things are yours. All things are yours. Everything God has done in the church and in the entire universe benefits all believers. There's no place for foolish boasting, for, com- for competition among Christians. We're not here to com- compete against one another, but to serve one another in serving Christ and getting the word of God out to those that don't know him. We need to have the right view of ourself. We have to have the right view of God And that is, I belong to him. Paul said, don't let anyone think of himself more highly than he ought. Have the right view of other people. Paul said in Romans 12, 3, in lowliness of mind, let each each esteem others better than himself. Uh, in, In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul said, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We're to be others-centered, others-oriented. In closing, we're all bound together in an eternal oneness with God and the Lord Jesus Christ, making us one with each other. That being true, how can we, who are so much one with each other in Christ, be divided? It happens when we fail to understand the reality of our spiritual unity in our God. Listen, we all have the same God, same Savior, same Spirit, same spiritual possessions. We walk in the same light. We drink from the same rock. We all depend upon the same Word of God. So there should be no reason for divisions and disunity. And if there is, shame on us. George Mueller said this, nothing is ever settled finally until settled rightly, nor settled rightly until settled scripturally. It all boils down to the word of God. Plain and simple, God's word. It's the end of all difficulty. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you for Paul's teaching here, God. And we pray now that as we've heard your word, Lord, that now 
we would examine ourselves. Father, that we put it into practice, God. That, Lord, we would have that desire to, to go further than where we are today, God. To continue to learn and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, God. That we would be more and more like Jesus. So, Father, we thank you. And, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Tony is now going to lead us in communion.